welcome to Glowcast. Today we have Lauren Wagner. She is the Director of Development at the Plaza Cinema and Media Arts Center in Patchogue and the Director of the Long Island Arts Alliance. Um, welcome, Lauren. Hey, Kendra. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on here. So I met Lauren through my sister. Um, she's just one of those people that you meet and immediately know she's just this light that lifts a room. Um, so I I uh, stayed in touch with her over the years and she has an incredible story that I knew would resonate with this audience. So Lauren, um, where do you, would you like to begin? Um, so I guess a little bit of background, um, I guess maybe for those that don't know what the BRCA gene and what the BRCA mutation is, um, kind of giving a little bit of information on, on what that is would be a, a good place to start. Sure. Um, so everyone has the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene in their body. Um, they are protector genes. They kind of sit and wait. And if something looks amiss, they attack. Um, so if you have a mutation or something a little bit awry in those genes, it causes a predisposition for uh, certain types of cancer. And uh, for the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 mutations, it's a predisposition for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and uh, prostate cancer. No, I'm sorry, not prostate cancer, uh, and colon cancer. Um, But everyone has them. It's really a mutation that causes the predisposition. Exactly, exactly. So everybody has them. Um, Most people don't have the mutation to them, but um, those that do are at a heightened risk for developing those kinds of cancers. So just to give you some some stats that are actually a bit staggering. So um, 12% of the general population will develop breast cancer over their lifetime. So 12%. People who have a mutation in their BRCA1 or 2 genes have a risk way higher than that. And I'm not talking 20% or 30%. It's up to over 85% chance of developing breast cancer. Wow. Yeah. So it's a pretty staggering statistic. Um, And it's something that is inevitable. Um, I have read, (laughs) you know, I have read so many articles of people saying diet and lifestyle change and this and that can, can stop you, but, um, or, or prevent, you know, these horrible diseases from taking over your body. But when you look at those numbers, it's a very, it's a very scary statistic. Um, so the only way that you can find out if you have that mutation is through a, a, through a blood test. It's a very simple blood test. If you have a family history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer in your family, I highly recommend getting the test done. Um, You know, it it provides you with that information. Um, It's good to know. And then kind of what you do with that information is up to you. It's a very personal decision for everybody. Um, But, you know, from, from my personal history, I had gone to a doctor. I was living in Miami and I was... Um, seemingly healthy. I had no problems, but my period was like really off (laughs) and it was so frustrating. You know, I was like on birth control and then they would switch my birth control and then we'd go on a different birth control. And I just, my body was just not regulating properly. So my doctor um, was kind of looking into whatever issues I was having and he was taking my family history and how it is like they always ask you for 
you know, did, did your mother or father have A, B, C, D, E, F, G? And unfortunately, you know, when I was talking about my mother's side, it was like, yes, she had that. Yes, she had this. Yes, she had that. And um, he was like, have you ever been tested for the, the BRCA mutation? And I had never heard of it before because this was back in, I think, 2009 or 2010. Right. So he said to me, oh, you should definitely have this test done. And he basically just took my blood for it without even like getting my permission um, because my family history was so severe, you know. Um, Your mother had breast cancer? She did, yeah. So my mother, um, my mother was diagnosed when I was eight. And she passed away when I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she, uh, she had a really horrible battle too. She was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, she opted not to have a mastectomy. She just did the lumpectomy and went through chemo. Um, and then she was in remission for a couple of years and then it came back in the other breast and she did the same thing. She had a lumpectomy and went through chemo um, and then went into remission again. And then a few years later, it came back in the form of very aggressive brain cancer. Um, so she fought and it was a very long and painful battle for her, um, for all of us really. So, you know, it was a pretty bad, bad childhood in that regard. Um, and then I never knew my grandmother from my maternal side because she had passed away when my mom was very young, 18 or 19 years old too. Wow. Um, and then even, yeah, so it was rearing, uh, cancer was constantly rearing its ugly little head and aggressively and young, you know, and early. Right. So they say that early detection is the key, but you know, it's hard when you're, when you're that young, you're, you're not even, you know, insurance isn't even paying for your um, mammograms yet, you know, like how right. are you supposed to catch that when you're young without self-testing and all that kind of stuff? So it's hard. So knowing that you have this, this mutation, um, kind of gives you information that you're then able to make some decisions with, I guess you could say that. Right. Yeah. So you were 18 when you started having issues with your period? I was... Let's see. I was, no, I was older than that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I was, gosh, 20, 22, 23, something like that. And with your family history, had you been like getting checked for breast cancer before or because you were so young, they didn't do that. No, they didn't. They didn't really do that. I mean, whenever I would go for my, you know, annual exams, um, they would do the the finger tests, you know, on my breast and they would kind of feel around and everything. But other than that, no, um, I didn't have my mom to do it for me. You know, right. uh, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't have anybody that was looking out for that. Um, so, and there's not really much else they can do unless you're, you know, you're getting a mammogram, but even at 18, 19, 20 years old, your breasts are so dense. And so it's, it's hard to even do a mammogram at that point, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, no, there, there's not a lot of de early detection methods that you can, that you can do when you're, when you're that young. Um, however, when you do test positive for the, for the BRCA mutation, so the doctor, Mm -hmm. took the, took the blood. 
um, said it would be covered by insurance and it was um, because of my family history. Um, the test came back. He called me in the office. Um, my then boyfriend, now husband, Brian, um, came with me and we both kind of knew what the result was going to be like deep down in my head. I, I knew this, this test was created for a reason and it was created for people like me. Like I knew that deep down, you know, I knew that I was at a, I was had, had an increased risk risk just based on my family history alone. But this test would be a tool for me to be able to do something about it. So we sat down at the office and I remember just like grabbing Brian's hand and like him just looking at me and going, it's okay. It's okay. Like we know, we know, but we don't know. No, you know, it was just this weird, I don't know. It was like this checking off of this box, you know, that's, that was the really hard part. So when the doctor like put the paperwork down, took off his glasses, laid his glasses on the paperwork, you know, I knew it was coming and he's like, it's positive. And I lost it. I like was hysterical. And I don't know, I don't know why, because I had already accepted that this could be my fate, but I don't know, hearing it from him in this very sterile, clinical way was I don't know it was a very like poignant moment in my life and Brian you know the ever rock in my life honestly he's been something that I I I don't know how I would have gone through everything that I've been through without him um you know he's the one that asked the questions and he's he's quiet he's shy you know and I'm always the the loud boisterous one in, in in our relationship um and I just was so consumed by the emotion of it um that you know he was asking okay so what does this mean and what do we do uh what's the next step you know all that kind of stuff so luckily he was paying attention and I was like taking mental notes of what exactly I could do to to with this information that I was just given you know in my mind it was like the pin had been officially pulled in my metaphorical grenade you know I just felt like okay well this is it. Like I'm going to get cancer and I'm going to die young. Like that's how it felt. Um, and is that something you had kind of always thought, but now it was like, you're, you're right. I think, I think, I think you're right. I think that's it. I think that's what it was. It was something that I had always thought, but never heard anybody else say to me. Mm-hmm. And then hearing someone else say it was like, Oh shit. Like that's, yeah, this is real. You know, this isn't just some sort of like childhood trauma that I have in my head that's making me feel this way. This is actually biologically fucked up in my body. Like there's something that's, that's wrong. I have a mutation. And the other part, and it's, it's sad to think about, but I was like, damn mom, like, look what you gave me, you know? And I felt, I felt guilty for, for being angry about that, you know, because the way that it works is if one of your parents has the BRCA mutation, you have a 50, 50 shot. It's 50, 50. Mm -hmm. My brother could have it or he could, maybe he doesn't. It's a 50, 50. Like that's it. There's, there's either you do or you don't like they have tests where if I were to become pregnant, I could test the, the egg for the mutation. Oh, wow. And so they, they do this thing. It costs an, an incredible amount of money. 
um, that's not covered by insurance because it's not deemed necessary. But if, you know, you do the IVF and they mm-hmm. uh, implant a number of eggs, when they um, add the sperm to it, they can test the eggs and then extract the ones that do carry the mutations and leave the ones that don't. Wow. So that's, that's like how, yeah. So that's how evolved this whole process has become. Um, so my brother, um, he has opted not to have the test and I fully respect that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did um, just because it's been more prevalent in the, in the women in our family. Um, so oh, where, where was I going? I what forget what I was your, saying. So the doctor tells you, yes, you have this. You're finally confirmed this huge fear in your head. Mm-hmm. what's your next step? So crying, I cried a lot. I felt sorry for myself. Um, yeah. In my own world, it was, it was devastating. Um, telling my father about it was really hard. Um, I was pretty depressed about it for a little while. Uh, for for a couple years, and I knew what I could do with that information, and I wasn't doing what I needed to do with that information. Essentially, um, when you've been given this diagnosis, for a lack of a better term, um, the insurance company will then start covering uh, screening for breast cancer, so early detection practices. So. Mm-hmm. At the age of 22, um, 23, I forget exactly what age I was, I was able to start um, going for breast MRIs and mammograms once every six months. I would do, you know, so in January, I would do the mammogram. In June, I would do the MRI. In January, I would do the mammogram. In June, I would do the MRI. And while that was great and I didn't have to, you know, worry about insurance costs and all that kind of stuff and I was having thorough screenings, every time I would go to go get the mammogram done, I was an absolute basket case. I was so afraid. I, I wouldn't sleep for days beforehand. I wouldn't sleep for days afterwards. I was, I just thought every single time was like, well, this is it. This is going to be the time they're going to find it. This is going to be the time they're going to find it. And it was a horrible way to live. And then in between, so those five months in between each of those procedures, I was paranoid. I was scared. I wasn't the person that I, 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 I was before I found out about this. And it, it literally was just a piece of paper, you know, that said that confirmed this, this potential future for me that I, I had already thought that I had come to grips with in my own head. And it changed me. It really did. It it just made me so fearful for my life constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, like, well, I'm not going to have kids because I'm not going to be able around to, to, to see them. And I don't want to, you know, have a, have a 16 year old daughter or a 15 year old daughter and then die when they're that age and do what my mom did to me. You know, like there was a lot of anger and resentment and, and sadness that surrounded all of it. Um, so it was tough. It was a tough few years. Um, I mean, we got through it and, and Brian was, super supportive through it and was always like, Hey, you know, your appointment is coming up because, you know, he didn't want me to die. He didn't want me to develop breast cancer, um, either, you know? So he, he was always staying on top of me with that. Um, the that other like option, an insane cycle okay. to go through. 
yeah yeah it's a tough mentally it was it was really difficult physically it was difficult um and then you know the other option was to remove my breasts and at that time when I was 23 year old, years old and nothing was wrong with them I was like well no that's crazy why am I gonna do that you know I'm young I'm I'm in the prime of my life you know that's mm-hmm. what makes me a woman in my mind then, you know, that what that's going to ruin my femininity. It's going to make me more self-conscious than I kind of already am about my body. Um, and I want to breastfeed my child. You know, mm-hmm. if I take, if I remove my breasts, I hadn't had children. We didn't even start thinking about having children back then. So I was like, why am I going to remove that lifeline? You know, right. um, you know, they say breast is best and, you know, formula fed babies have all these problems and, all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to remove my breasts, but at the, at that time, at that time I was, you know, at that time I wasn't ready for, for the decisions that I knew that I was going to have to make down the line. Um, right. You know, I, I was still very young and the information was new and, and the whole, the whole test was, was relatively new. You know, I would look online for people who maybe had gone through it and, there was really nothing there for, for people who, who would, were BRCA positive and were kind of like grappling with this decision of, well, how do I, how do I use this information to better my life? Right. Um, so there wasn't a lot of people. And then in, in 2013, um, Angelina Jolie came public about having a preventative uh, prophylactic double mastectomy because she tested positive for a BRCA1 mutation just like me. Um, and that was great because it opened up the dialogue about it, but it was also really horrific because I don't know, the internet brings out the worst in people, right? you know? Um, so there was a lot of people who were like, Oh, well, when is she going to take off her legs, you know, next? And, you know, might as well just remove her brain because you don't know what's going to happen to your brain in the future. Like it was like very... Um, just like very ignorant comments about stuff that people didn't really understand anything about. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, all of a sudden other women who were faced with these decisions started coming forward and groups on Facebook started happening. And I was able to start really connecting with other women who were facing the same risks as I was. And that was really important because it gave me, other people to talk to that were going through it, you know? I would imagine that support is probably, so is that really what led to you making the decision you decided to make? Cause now you have more information. You had more people to bounce this off of people who understood cause they were going through it too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think over the years um, I, I became a little bit more, comfortable with the idea of removing my breasts. Um, I think Brian, uh, Brian was supportive of it from day one. He was like, I just want you to live, you know, your boobs are just boobs. You know, I'm not, I I love you. I don't, it's not, I just don't like, it's not just about your boobs, you know? Um, It's like, okay, well that's, (laughs) that's good to know. Um, So in my personal life, everyone was very supportive um, around me, but I still just didn't have like, 
I didn't know what it was going to be like. I wanted to know details. I wanted to know what my options were as far as like reconstruction and all that kind of stuff. So those things that were very unknown to me, that's what the groups kind of helped me with. I was able to just post on this Facebook group um, that I'm still a part of today, um, like just very basic questions and talk to women who have gone through the exact same thing. So it gave me a lot of knowledge. It gave me a lot of information. Um, So that was, that was really, really helpful. And yeah, I think that speaking to other young women, um, many of whom had gone through very similar situations as I did when I was little um, with my mom, you know, um, that was really helpful for me to, to come to grips with the fact that, listen, these six months in between these tests are agonizing. And why am I doing this to myself? They're, they're boobs. They're basically ticking time bombs. Let's right. just get rid of them. So um, I sat with my husband, my, uh, my husband, and I told my dad and I told my brother and I told, you know, whoever was close. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I went to a doctor in the city in Mount Sinai who was incredible, Dr. Marco Harmony. Um, he was my reconstruction um, surgeon and decided to, to move forward with the surgery. So on uh, June 10th of 2015 is when I had my surgery. Um, so I had a prof- prophylactic bilateral double mastectomy. I did not save my nipples. I was worried that I had to just get rid of everything. I didn't want to leave the nipples because God forbid the cancer developed in the nipples, you know? Um, So I just said, take it all. Um, So I did, I had immediate reconstruction uh, that same day. Mm -hmm. And seven days later developed a staph infection and had to go back in and they had to replace the implants. Um, It was pretty traumatic, but you know, um, from what other stories I've read about, it was, it was much less than a lot of other women have experienced. Um, since then I've had seven different surgeries, which has, you know, over the years, um, mm-hmm. I've had seven surgeries to kind of just fix and correct and everything like that. Um, okay. so that that's been hard, but you know, overall it's been, it's okay. You know, um, there was a point where like every six months I, I was going in under the knife just for various Mm -hmm. reasons. So that became difficult. You know, it's hard to recover from surgery. It's hard to get your mind back, um, to get motivation. So it's, it's been a journey. Um, but for me, the, the, the one thing that kept like pinging in the back of my brain was not being able to breastfeed. Um, And that was something that I, I still, even, even getting ready and having them mark up my chest and standing there completely naked and have them like take that stupid blue pen and just mark where they were going to just cut me open and remove everything. The only thing I could think of was like, I'm never going to have nipples again. I'll never be able to breastfeed my child. And I don't know why that was so important to me, but it was, Mm -hmm. um, and all through the recovery and even for the last, you know, the last four years, that's, that's been a problem and, or not a problem, but like something that's been really weighing on me. And then when I got pregnant, I was like, God, this sucks. 
you know, I, I made this decision before I had kids and I'll never have that opportunity to bond with my child like that. Right. Um, and then, you know, when you get pregnant, these algorithms of the internet are sending me oh, all these yeah. like, you know, breast pump ads and don't forget to get your breast pump from your insurance company and formula fed babies develop autism and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, you're bombarded with this information and I'm like, but I don't have a choice. This isn't a choice. I, I, I physically can't breastfeed my child, you know? Right. Um, and I thought that that was going to be this horrible thing, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of going off on a tangent right now, but like, no, that no, was no. really, that was really hard for me to kind of, that was hard for me to, to accept. Yeah. Um, and also when you had your son. I'm sorry. How was it when you had your son then? So that was, that was my, my aha moment. Um, in realizing why I did this, uh, in the first place. So having my son, um, I ended up having to have a, uh, C-section. Um, and I was so worried. I remember when they were wheeling me, um, back, I said to the nurse, I was like, I don't think my chest is warm enough for the baby because the problem is like, I have, they took all my, they took all my, my body tissue in my, my chest. I have no fat cells in there. I just have, it's basically skin and then it's implant and it's cold, you know, they're, they're always cold to the touch. Um, Mm -hmm. so I was, I just remember being so fearful and so afraid and then, and saying to the, to the nurse, like, you can't put the baby on my chest. He's going to freeze. Like, I don't. Not equipped. To be a mom, you know. Oh. And what was that moment like? Um, when you put him on your chest. It was like none of that ever. Mattered. It. It, it was it was perfect. Um, you know, he was, um, he was mine, you know, and he, he was warm and he was happy and he was beautiful. And like, all of a sudden, none of that mattered anymore. You know, um, I remember the nurse, like she put her hands on my chest. She's like, you're perfect. You know, he's, you're exactly what he needs. And that's exactly what happened. You know, um, he came up to my chest and all I could think about was him. I, I didn't think about the, you know, his temperature. I wasn't worried about it anymore. All of a sudden it was just like, okay, no, this is where he belongs. And I had, I had told my doctor, obviously my doctor knew, and I had told the nurses beforehand, like, listen, please don't try and get me to breastfeed because I don't have nipples, you know, like I, I can't. Um, and they, the doctors at the hospital were just so fantastic. Um, I never once had to remind anybody about it. Um, you know, they gave us the bottle right away and we were able to feed him and, um, it was perfect. It was like nothing else was supposed to happen, you know? And this, this realization that, I'm what he needs. He doesn't need my breasts. He doesn't need milk from me. He, he doesn't, he doesn't need me to have my, my natural breasts. He needs me. And I made this decision 
for him. Um, I made this decision to live and I was able to take this sort of dreadful news and turn it into something so powerful because I know that if my mom was given the chance to have this test done and know her risks, she would have made the same decision. Right. And I'm sad that she wasn't able to make that decision and be here and be a grandmother. Um, but I'm grateful that I was, and I was able to be proactive in my decision and um, try and live a long and healthy life for my son. Um, Cause I think in the long run, that's what he'll appreciate. And that's what, what matters to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. So uh, just such a beautiful thing to come out of something that was so traumatic. Mm-hmm. What other, what would you tell someone who has maybe just received this diagnosis? If we, we want to call it that. Um, yeah. or, so what would you say to them? Where, where, I mean, not, everyone makes their own choice, but how mm-hmm. do they start even thinking about what all their options are and what would you recommend? I think the biggest thing is that knowledge is power um, when it comes to this reality that we have to face. Um, there's a lot more information on each individual mutation now. Um, the tests now are not just black and white where it's, you know, you either are or you aren't for this whole myriad of, of different, um, mutations on your genes. Um, there's a lot more like detailed information, um, as a result of the, the test now, but what I, what I would tell somebody now face to face is that knowledge is power and you are able to use this information to better your life, no matter which way you decide to, to go with it or the, however you decide to use this information that you have, um, not to ignore it, uh, that they're not alone in it and that everything's going to be okay. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is that, you have this ability to better your life or to extend your life as much as possible um, and to be able to use that. Right. I think that's, that's really important. Um, And not to do things because anybody else, certainly not to have surgery because I said it was, you know, it was to have surgery you know, make your own decisions at your own time. I mean, I'm glad that I took that time and, and really made sure that it was the right time for it, for my life, uh, for Brian's life, you know, um, and everyone that was close to me, because you need a support system. I mean, I couldn't open a door, you know, for weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, I couldn't even open my own my pain pill bottle. It was like impossible. So, you know, you need to have, it needs to be the right time for you mm-hmm. um, if you're going to have the surgery. Um, but knowledge is power and, and, and to use the information that you have to, to make informed decisions about your body. And then, Uh, and also that boobs are just boobs. And I know that society puts a lot of pressure on us women to look a certain way and feel a certain way. And, 
boobs are boobs and that's not what makes you a woman. That's yeah. really important too. Um, and your son is beautiful and thriving. Thank you. He's the best. He's Did the fine best. without breast milk. Did absolutely fine without breast milk. And <laughs> turns out actually he's allergic to milk. Um, <laughs> so he, um, so he's on like Nutramigen formula um, mm-hmm. and he it does so well with it. And he's so smart and he's, big and strong and he's on the like 93rd percentile for weight and 98th percentile for height you know so he's he's thriving and he's perfect and oh. I'm so so glad that I made this decision um, and that I don't have to worry as much about that um, anymore right. you know now that I have had the surgery it's taken my risk from over 85 percent down to less than five percent like that's a wow. huge jump it's a huge jump what has um, that shift been like to to go through a cycle where you're you're constantly worried about dying and getting a diagnosis that you're going to have x amount of time left yeah now having this gift of I mean do you still have those thoughts every six months in your head of like Oh my God. No, I don't. I don't. I remember it's gone. Yeah. I remember waking up from the first surgery and it was like, it was palpable. Like I could actually feel it around me. Like this weight being lifted off of my shoulders, um, off of my chest, you know, like literally, have yeah. was taken away with my breast tissue. Um, it was a very freeing moment for me. Um, uh, unfortunately, it, while my mom never had ovarian cancer, um, and I don't think, I, I'm not really sure about anybody else in my family. Unfortunately, it's also an inherited risk for ovarian cancer. It's over I think it's over 60% or something like that mm-hmm. for ovarian cancer. So it is really recommended that um, I have my ovaries and my uterus and my fallopian tubes, everything cleaned out before the age of 40. Um, okay. So that's next. So it never, I mean, it never, It I guess it never completely went away because there's always the risk, right? Um, but the the fear, the, the, the anxiety and the fear that I had really lifted and went away after the surgery. Um, okay. cause I felt like I had really done something about it, but so I'm 30, how old am I now? 35, I think. Yes. I'm 35 now. <laughs> um, so I know that I have to make these decisions in the next few years, um, in order to make sure that I'm, you know, being proactive and, and taking things into my own hands, um, as best as I can. So hopefully, um, if we decide to have another child, we'll have to do that pretty soon and then we'll, um, kind of move forward from there. But honestly, when, uh, when I left that hospital, I, I really, for the first time, I really felt like I was leaving, I was leaving that fear and that anxiety behind. Um, and that was a good, that was a good feeling. I have to say. Do, where, um, are there places on the internet that you specifically recommend support groups? Um, I'm sure you've seen information that's not great and I'm sure you've seen things that are really amazing. So is there some place you would point 
are people too? Yes. So um, I have to say the, hmm, the internet, and this is why I love this podcast. And I think this is such a great service that you're providing to the community is because people like to share really horrible things. Like when things are bad that happen to them, that's what they write about. If they have a bad experience at a restaurant, they're going to write more about the bad experience at the restaurant than they will about, you know, having a positive experience somewhere. Cause it's because the internet has kind of become this place for people to vent. Um, and it's easy to get kind of consumed by all the negativity and, um, people who have had complications with their surgeries, um, post a lot of pictures and they post a lot of issues while as the people who kind of had one and done surgeries and have moved on, they don't typically tend to post or participate as much because they don't really want to think about that part of their life anymore. So it's easy to get wrapped up in the negativity sometimes. Um, however, there are quite a few um, support groups out there that I would, I would recommend um, checking out. So um, I can provide some links if you don't. Yeah. Have them. Yeah. I don't know exactly what they're, what they're called. Um, so I'll post Instagram. them in the Glowcast um, Instagram. Um, I have a link tree in there and every yeah. episode we, I put on whatever relevant links would be um, important for the conversation. So we can post those in there. Yeah, that would be great. I know that one of them is force. Um, it's facing our risk of cancer empowered. Um, that's, that was a really big one. Their website is fantastic. Um, they're very active on social media. Um, I met a lot of women through there that, uh, was really, really great. And that's force. And there's, there's one other one that I, it's escaping my brain right now, but I'll let you know. So you can put it in the links. That would be great. One other question I had, you mentioned insurance quite a bit. Um, are, do you have any recommendations about people that maybe have a family history that, um, if they're not insured or if they, their insurance isn't great, like what can they expect or what should they, how can they advocate for themselves when, you know, it costs so much to take care of yourself nowadays? Yeah. Oh gosh. So that's tough. Um, it's easier now when I first had the test done, um, a company called Myriad is the one that developed the test and they had a patent on it. And that meant that nobody else could do this test. And Myriad was the be-all and end-all for genetic mutation testing. Um, I was told that it would be covered by my insurance and then was slapped with a whopping like $25,000 bill a few months later saying that it wasn't covered because I wasn't insured anymore. Um, (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, it was a really big – this just added to the – to the, to the shittiness of it all, honestly. Um, my insurance company had realized that I was potentially going to cost them a lot of money in the end and, um, decided to drop me, uh, um, unknowingly. Yeah, it was, it was pretty terrible. So I had to have a lawyer fight for me, um, and ended up getting the case resolved and it ended up being covered. But back then it was a lot more difficult because people, people were being denied left and right um, the ability to, to have this test done. Nowadays, um, there's a lot more companies that are providing this test. Um, okay. And I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know the ins and outs of it right now, 
but I'm pretty sure that um, all you need is your, your, your general practitioner can, can be the one that can put the, the form in for the test. You just have to write about your family history. Um, be open and be honest. And the biggest thing, and I, I wish I had had a conversation with my mom about her health beforehand. Um, I wish I had had a conversation with my dad about his health beforehand. Um, before they're gone, find out the information on, on, on their health because their experiences, their diagnosis, their issues um, can be a really good roadmap for, for you uh, as you're trying to navigate the intricacies of, of your own health um, because genetics research is, is incredible and is growing so fast um, that, you know, to be able to, to, to provide yourself with information and, and uh, qualify for different kinds of tests um, you'll need to show some sort of family history for different um, issues. So it's really, it's really important that you know where you come from um, as best as you can, you know, right. That's important. So I, I highly recommend that. Um, and then the insurance companies um, hopefully will be able to cover whatever you need, you know, and you won't have an issue like I had. I mean, that was a, like a freak thing. It was just, adding salt to the wound, if you will. But um, I, I, from, from all the communications that I've had with other people online, um, many of them haven't had any sort of issues with, with insurance. Um, And then your, you know, your, your six month uh, tests are then covered and all that kind of stuff. But um, wow. Yeah. I wish I, I'm I'm sorry that I don't know more about, um, about the tests now and like where, if there's any information on them, but the websites that, that we'll link up to, um, I remember there's, there's definitely articles in there that talk about, you know, um, how to handle insurance and how to handle, um, all the claims and everything like that, just cause every insurance policy is sort of different. But, sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Important. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. No, thank you. I hope I didn't go off on too many tangents. I feel like I was all <laughs> over the place. No, I mean, it's such an <laughs> intricate, uh, there's so many elements to what you went through. And I think being able to share, you know, the whole point of bringing any of these, or any of you guys on to this podcast is to provide this beacon for people who are going through these things. Because a lot of times when you're, and you know this, when you're in the middle of something, your head is like spaghetti and you can't yeah. focus. It. All you need is just someone in front of you to follow their roadmap or just yeah. have some inspiration, like, look, they got through it and they're okay. Not only are they okay, they're actually better than they were. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think your story can provide to people is you went through this really horrific time in your life for years and years and years and look at your life now based on these decisions you made and the choice to look at this like a positive change You've right. not only changed your own life, you've changed your son's life, your husband's life, your future grandchildren, and anyone that's listening to this podcast. No. It's a ripple effect. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for doing this. I think we need we need more things like this. We need little beacons of positivity in our lives. And um, you know, I I I try and be as vocal as I can about the whole process. Um 
I had had a lot of conversations with, with girls who, um, we're going to my doctor's office and uh, my doctor would give them my name, you know, like, Oh, talk to Lauren. She just went through all of this and everything like that. And um, I just remember, I remember it it also made me feel better about my decision because I was like, Oh man, I could actually provide some sort of like respite for people who are terrified just like I was and have no idea where to turn or where to look. Um, and you know, just to be that person to say, it's going to be okay. And you'll, you'll handle this and just think about what you're doing for your future, you know? So it's, um, I'm happy to, I'm happy to be able to provide some sort of comfort for somebody. Um, and certainly if anybody has any, um, questions like directly about, um, the process or my doctors or, uh, my recovery or anything else. If you just want to talk, um, I'll, I'll give you my email address too. You could put it at the bottom, um, or ways to contact me so that that way, um, you know, if you have any personal questions, they can certainly reach out and I'm, I'm an open book. I really am about the whole process. You are beautiful and such oh, a light. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I know it's difficult and I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, I hope to see you soon and happy holidays. Thank you. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon. (laughs) Thank you so much to Lauren Wagner for sharing her story. It's always hard to recount these things, their emotional experiences. And I really appreciate her being so open and honest If anybody would like to reach out to Lauren, if they're going through a similar diagnosis, if there's something that they have questions about with the BRCA mutation, I will provide links in the Glowcast Instagram, which is glow.cast on Instagram. I am also adding an area of links to the glowcast.life website, so you can check there as well. (music) 